Welcome to the Sign Out Podcast. Here we interview individuals who are pursuing their passion and who want to share that story. Maybe I just was always destined at some point to create something related to vehicles. For us, we were just looking for an outlet to get away from our day jobs. Remember, I wrote a story about meeting Hakeem Olajuwon, major, major super, superstar. And if you're from the Houston area, he's, I mean, he's like godlike level. Welcome, everybody, to the this edition of the Sign Out Podcast. I have a Another wonderful guest today, Frank Ledwell, who's the publisher of Outdoor by Four and Jeepers International, two great magazines. If you aren't reading those, you should be. So interesting story. And this podcast is always, I always think they're interesting stories, but it's led me to meet different people in different ways. And this story of meeting Frank goes back even way before I even saw his magazine. And I just, it's kind of was a start for me. This actually goes back to December of 2017 on a trip to South Africa that I got to take. Fortunately, I had some friends that we met in my neighborhood um, here outside of Houston, Texas, and they were from South Africa. They moved back and my family and I got the chance to go visit them. And when I was over there, it was in December, which is a major holiday for them. And there were people camping everywhere in the rigs that everybody were driving around. Um, were ones that I love. I love seeing Defender 110s with rooftop tents or Toyota Land Cruisers with rooftop tents, which are just were everywhere. And you don't see those as much over here in the States, that style of off-roading or camping out, especially down here in Texas. Um, so, and then when I was going around to different places, even the magazines in the convenience stores were really centered around this type of camping and overland adventure. So I get back to Houston and I'm in Barnes and Nobles one day and I see this magazine called Outdoor by Four and the cover of it just looks like the magazine of what I would see when I was over in South Africa with this, you know, cool car with this rooftop tent really ready to go and camp out and take out in the wild. And I open it up and start and just flipping through it. And I see that the publisher is in Spring, Texas and it's Frank. Welcome to the show, Frank. Hey, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing well. And that just being from spring surprised me because that is a suburb of Houston. And I would not expect the Outdoor by Four magazine to be published in spring, Texas. And that kind of led me on, well, I'm going to buy this magazine. And eventually I had just started this brand, Sign Out, and the podcast. And I was like, well, I want to just email this guy by chance and see if I can get a response. And so I even sent a generic email to the info uh, email address. And sure enough, Frank responded promptly and we had a phone call. And since then we've met at a rigs and coffee event and had some time to visit and learn more about what each one of us were doing. But I just thought this story of getting a magazine published in Houston or being based in Houston was so cool. And it really ties into what I was doing that I was like, we got to get this guy on the podcast because I know he's got a cool story. So Frank, this really is a First, it's a great magazine. If you don't have it, um, the quality is excellent. Um, I am kind of a magazine snob, and I really like this one in terms of how quality it is. There's a few that I subscribe to that are very nice that um, I like this. So, And Outdoor by Four, just reading it has been great. But how did you start? How did you become a magazine publisher? Because that wasn't your entire career just from talking to you. <laughs> well, it's definitely been a wild ride. And first off, Daniel, thank you so much for having me on the show. I mean, it's uh, it's a true honor for me to have an opportunity to sit down with you and talk about 
you know, things that we're both passionate about you with sign out and your story of how sign out started. Um, and for me without door by four and how it, this little idea that happened years ago kind of spawned into something that I'm very passionate about. Um, gosh, you know, I guess if you really want to kind of get down to the, to the details of how this happened, um, I'd probably go all the way back to childhood, to be honest with you. Um, when I was about five or six years old, uh, I love, well, even at a younger age, I had always loved cars. I just, I had this affinity for vehicles and I would be in the, in the, in the car driving down the road with my parents and my younger brother. And I had, I had gotten to where at a very young age, I could recognize certain types of cars and the emblems associated with them and the brand that they were. And it's funny, if you were to ever meet my parents, they would tell you that when I was a kid, we'd drive down the road and I'd point out a Volkswagen or Mercedes or a Chrysler or a Ford or whatever. And I would say, oh, look, daddy, it's a Chevy. And I'd say what Chevy it was because I just, I identified with it because I, I just thought they were really, really neat to look at. And so around age five or six, I got the idea um, just for fun. I got some construction paper at the house and I found some, uh, I think maybe it was a, a copy of some, some magazine that was, uh, in my parents' bedroom, and it had some advertisements in it for various types of cars, as often, you know, many magazines, particularly at that time, had. And I started drawing the cars, and I would put a, a, a different car on each page of construction paper, and I would drawing it out. And when it was all done, which I had, I think, maybe drawn like five or six different cars, I glued all the pages together wow and i created a little front cover and i called it frank's book of cars and it said on underneath that by frank ledwell as a matter of fact i've still got it i'll have to tell you about that in a moment but um, on the back of it i had a listing of all the cars and in the middle were of course all the pictures that i had drawn of these different vehicles with a description on each page of what the vehicle was and preceding all of that i had a table of contents and so um Fast forward to eh, 2006. Well, you were destined to do this because <laughs> I didn't even know that part of the story. So you were destined to do this. And honestly, I had completely forgotten about this. And the only reason why I remembered it is because my mother, um, my father has since passed away. He passed away in 2011. And the house that my parents lived in, they moved into out here in the Woodlands Spring area about three months before I was born. And so... My mother uh, decided this past year that she was going to sell the home. She remarried about a year earlier, and uh, for her, it just made sense to sell the home. So in the process of her collecting things and getting rid of things there in the house and trying to get everything packed and sorted, I was tasked with helping with some of that and also taking care of my old bedroom that I had growing up. And as I was going through my old bedroom, I happened to find wow, this that's cool. little magazine book that I had made. 35 years earlier. And I, like I said, I had completely forgotten about it, but I started thinking about that and I, and I recognized, I was like, wow, in my subconscious, maybe I just was always destined at some point to create a magazine or a book or something related to vehicles. And, but I never really, I never really gave that any thought because of course I was five or six years old when I created that, right. that little magazine. Um, so it was funny how I had kind of gotten reacquainted with this, with this creation of mine from years and years past, just by accident. Um, 
but it's funny. So uh, five five years old, I, I created this little magazine, and then uh, fast forward all the way through into high school. And I got into high school my freshman year. Um, I developed an interest in journalism, and I wound up taking a semester long intro to journalism class as an elective. And uh, I wound up actually getting an opportunity to serve for one semester as the feature editor of uh, the school paper um, at McCullough High School in the Woodlands. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I remember I wrote a story about meeting Hakeem Olajuwon, who at that time was playing for the Houston Rockets. They had just won their first world championship. Major superstar. Major, major superstar. And if you're from the Houston area, he's, I mean, he's like godlike level. Exactly. I mean, you know, this very, very high, uh, very highly regarded um, individual and, of course, basketball player. I had an opportunity to meet him my freshman year in high school. And I wrote a story about it in the school newspaper. And it was funny because I had a lot of friends and even people I didn't know at the time come up to me after it published in the school newspaper telling me how they really enjoyed reading the story about how I had this chance to meet Hakeem Olajuwon. And I was just blown away that even anybody read this story that I wrote, much less having scores of people come up to me and talk to me about it. So I was like, maybe this is something that I'd like to do. So at the end of that semester, uh, we were invited to go to um, a, uh, a, a visit with one of the investigative, investigative journalists for a local TV station in Houston. He was putting on a little conference for high school kids to talk about journalism and really the focus on it was to encourage kids who were interested in journalism to pursue it as a career. So I remember attending that that uh, conference and I was actually by the end of it very disappointed with how it turned out. And I'm not going to go into the details other than to say that the way he approached journalism was for me it was kind of contrary to I guess my my morality and my character and the suggestions that he made with respect to how to get a story kind of collided with how I felt we really needed to be as people. And so I got kind of turned off on the idea of pursuing journalism. I remember going back home and was really disappointed and told my parents about it. And um, at that point, I was like, you know, yeah, maybe I'll just find something else I'm interested in. And so I did. That's interesting that one person like that could have that kind of impact. It was was an impact that at the time um, was negative. But again, it was just kind of one of those steps along this process that eventually got me to where I'm at. Um, so a couple of years later, I graduate from high school. I go off to college at Texas Tech University in West Texas. Um, I was actually very, very serious about pursuing medical school. I thought for sure I was going to go off to, to med school, eventually become a doctor, maybe a pediatrician. Um, I wound up majoring in chemistry, and I studied chemistry in college for two and a half years, almost three years. And uh, in the last semester of my sophomore year, I think it was the end of my sophomore year. It might have been the first semester of my junior year. Uh, part of my degree plan required me to take an economics class. And for some crazy reason, I just fell in love with economics and decided at that time, you know, maybe my pursuit of medicine wasn't wasn't for me. Maybe I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And in the interim, I had, hadn't even given journalism or writing or photography even a thought. I just wasn't thinking about that. Well, I wound up getting a degree in economics, a uh, business degree in economics. And when I graduated, uh, my dad, right a couple months before I, I graduated, my dad got sick. And I come from a small family. I've got uh, one younger brother. Um, my father, his parents passed away long before I was born. My mother is actually from Mexico, which there's kind of an interesting story about that that I'm sure we'll talk about yep, later on in this podcast. Sure. Um, so all my mother's family was still down in Mexico. So my father... Um, also being an only child, we had very, very limited extended family. So over the years, my brother and I developed a really strong relationship with our parents. And uh, 
that was that was a really really important thing for us uh, growing up and uh, the experiences that we had as a family and their whole slew of stories of all the different adventures that we went on growing up. I won't go into all of that, but anyway, when I got ready to graduate, my dad got sick. And at the time, I had just accepted a job up in Denver, Colorado, um, doing work related to my degree. And I thought, well, you know, dad's sick. Maybe I should move back to Houston and be close to family um, rather than going off to Denver and then just, you know, being even that much further apart from, you know, the family that I've got. So when I graduated, I decided, okay, I'm moving back to Houston. Well, when I made that choice, I had to start my my job search and everything over completely from scratch. I wasn't prepared to come back to Houston initially. And so And Denver's a pretty nice place to go. I was just there last week. Denver's an awesome place. And it's funny, um, taking a step back, I had selected Denver because uh, when I was in college, between my junior and senior year, uh, my five best friends from high school and college, we all kind of, after we graduated from high school, we kind of followed each other to Texas Tech. And my last two years in college, I was actually rooming with two of my closest friends at the time. Um, they were both very much into outdoors. One of my buddies had a Jeep. He had a Jeep YJ. I think it was a 93 Jeep YJ. It was a forest green Jeep with a beige interior. You know, it had the square headlights that everybody hated at the time. And uh, But for us, it was a cool Jeep. Well, when we went out to Colorado um, the summer between our junior and senior year, we went all together as a group and worked at a place called Estes, uh, in Estes Park, Colorado, called the YMCA of the Rockies. Which is a, um, which is a essentially a, a kind of a resort type setup within uh, the base area leading into Rocky Mountain National Park, owned and operated by the YMCA. And it was during that summer, uh, while we were working there at the Y, being in such close proximity to Rocky Mountain National Park, that I started to really develop a love for being outdoors. I spent that whole summer working on the grounds maintenance crew, where we were outside creating uh, drip irrigation systems for. The facility. Um, I had to. I had part of my responsibility was going to all the cabins each morning and picking up all the trash and loading it up into a trash truck. Um, I did a lot of hard work, hard labor outside for eight hours a day. I loved it because we were outside and we had this backdrop of the Rocky Mountains. And and so the work that we were doing, even though it wasn't fun, it was hard work and. When we'd get off work at the end of the day, me and my buddies, we'd hop in his Jeep and we'd drive into the national park and go hiking or we'd go do some rock climbing or we'd go to a local crag somewhere and do some rock climbing or we'd do some off-road driving. So anyway, we did that all summer and I just fell in love with it. So we went back to Texas Tech that fall and from the rest of the time that I was at Tech, um, I got more interested in mountain biking and rock climbing and all that stuff. So that was kind of my influence in choosing a job in the Denver location right. I because mean, I had fallen in love with Colorado. Yeah, it's good that you were getting to work. Even doing manual labor outside in Colorado in the summer is very different than doing that oh, same yeah. job here in Houston in the oh, summer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's night and day. Here right. in Houston, you're, you're, you're sweating, your, you're you're really sweating your butt off, you're yeah. dying, it's hot and humid. In Colorado, exactly. at least, you've got dry heat and you've got this beautiful backdrop. So I fell in love with Colorado. So getting back to um, moving to Houston. Uh, my dad got sick, I moved back to Houston, started my job search over again. Because I had a business degree in economics, um, it was a natural fit for me to get into the oil and gas market. And Houston being a big oil and gas town, I just kind of naturally found my first job in oil and gas. And for the next 13, 14 years, I did um, number crunching for several oil and gas companies in, in Houston. Um, I uh, wasn't particularly passionate about it. But it was work that um, 
that I learned a lot from. And I wouldn't trade the experience that I had working in a corporate setting for as long as I did because I learned a lot about uh, the corporate world. I learned a lot about business. And uh, the lessons that I learned from those experiences eventually led me to where I'm at right now. Um, but stepping back from there, um, I had been in the corporate world for about five or six years. Um, and when I started my career, about nine months after I started, uh, if you recall, Enron was a big company that was based here in Houston. And there was a sizable scandal related to how they were doing business. Uh, their employees lost you know, nearly all the retirement savings. It was a huge, huge, huge issue that really raised a lot of larger issues within the corporate world. Yeah, I think and if you lived in Houston, you knew some, if you didn't work for Enron, you definitely you had a close somebody. friend. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, it, when, when the Astros moved from the Astrodome, the, the new baseball field that they moved to, it was originally Enron Field. Right. It eventually became Minute Maid Park, but it was originally Enron Field. And so when I started my corporate career, nine months after I started my corporate career, the whole Enron debacle happened. And for me, I kind of took that personally. Even though I didn't work for Enron, I saw how they did business. And I thought to myself, gosh, you know, do I really want to consider spending the rest of my adult life working in a corporate environment where I know things like this can and will happen? Um, I figured, you know, if someday I could be in a position where I could go and to do a business that I do for myself that I'm passionate about, that would be my absolute dream. So five years after the whole Enron thing happened, um, a really close buddy of mine, one of the guys actually that I had um, gone to high school and college with who joined us in Rocky Mountain or in Estes Park, Colorado that summer uh, when we were in college working at the YMCA of the Rockies, he and I had got this crazy idea of starting a digital magazine. Um, he had gotten his degree in graphic design, and uh, of course, me with my 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 writing and or with my economics background and business background, we thought it would be kind of a fun thing for us to just do something on the side to kind of break away the monotony of our day jobs. And in the meantime, I actually had started kind of getting into writing and photography, just kind of on a whim. My friend, being a graphic designer, um, uh enjoyed photography and so I started getting into photography and I he and I would head out on a weekend and go out to the Texas Hill Country and take photos of the landscapes of the flowers in the spring and I had just bought a Jeep a couple a couple months before that and so we'd get out and we'd shoot photos of the Jeep and we'd go hiking and doing stuff and so we got this idea of creating this digital online magazine. Which I think is interesting because we take that for granted in 2019 because there's so many digital magazines out there. Mm -hmm. We think technology, it's just no big deal. But if you go back to 2006, it's a very different technology uh, world. Absolutely. You know, I mean, the, you, you were on the cutting edge of like, wow, you think somebody's going to read something online like that? Well, that, that that's a really excellent point, Daniel. And it's funny because when we came up with this idea, um, it, it, we're, we're, we, had, we were two guys who didn't know anything about creating a magazine. We didn't know anything about publishing. We didn't know anything about that. For us, we were just looking for an outlet to get away from our day jobs. And for us, especially for me, I was still single at the time. Um, this was a perfect opportunity to do something that allowed for me to kind of engage myself in some of the things that I enjoy doing in my personal life, with being outdoors and driving Jeep vehicles and hiking and doing all that stuff. But then, of course, you know, the reality was that I was still working a day job. And so uh, January of 2006, we released the first issue of this digital Adventure Lifestyle magazine, and uh, we shared it with some family and with some friends, and I got the idea um, of putting it up on a couple of online forums 
Um, at the time, there were a lot of different forums out there, and each one of them was very, very niche, and they were all they were all kind of tied into the things that we were writing about in this you know little sixteen page magazine that we created. But we did it, the magazine in a digital format, and we did that because well, one of two reasons actually. Um, we had no like we had no idea how to create a magazine, and we weren't even remotely in a position to try to launch a publishing company. That was never our intent. Um, plus, the time at the time, and Stephen, even now today, uh, you know, printing a magazine is hugely expensive, and neither one of us could afford to do that. So, we got the idea of doing this all digitally. And as you mentioned, thirteen years ago, digital was not where it's at now. Um, as a matter of fact, it was very much in its infancy. We were the first, ironically, the magazine that we created was the first fully digital magazine catering to the market that we were trying to reach out to anywhere. Um, there were some digital magazines out there, so we weren't the first digital magazine. But um, to the market that we were catering to, it was the first magazine done completely digitally. And it resonated with a lot of folks, surprisingly. Um, I shared the first issue on some online uh uh, forums and uh, it kind of took off and so we decided to do a second issue and then we did a third issue and we continued to do that for six and a half years and in the meantime uh, this magazine which was started off as a little 16 page digital magazine with hardly anybody reading it um, when I wound up leaving that title back in eh, mid 2012 I think it was uh, we had readers in over 50 countries. <laughs> we had um, a subscriber da email database of nearly 30,000 subscribers. Um, the magazine itself was never designed to be a, a, a business type type uh, magazine. We hardly made any money off of that thing. But for me, it launched, it was really a catalyst in kind of guiding me to where I'm at today. And eventually it led to my transition from the corporate world, where I was still working at the time in 2012, to eventually coming up with the concept of Outdoor by Four and starting that magazine uh, in 2013, releasing the first issue in 2014, and transitioning from you know being behind a desk all day to doing something that I was passionate about that ironically, as it turns out, was something that I apparently had an interest in when I was at the age of five, Right. Making my very first magazine. I so. think one thing that's interesting about that part of the story is in today's culture, when we have access to so much so fast, is that people um, at all ages, and not just to point to young people, is that they don't realize the time and patience it takes to start something like this. So to think that you had your day job and you were working on publishing for six years as a side gig to your day job before you even launched this magazine. It's not like you were like, I'm going to launch it and the next year it's going to blow up. I and mean, it was six years of work, of patience, of time. And it's, it reminds me because I'm a year into doing my own thing and I'm like, this is not going fast enough. <laughs> but the more entrepreneurs I talk to, the more people I realize that it's never one year. It it's never five years, overnight. it's six years, it's seven years. Yeah. And I just think that's a great lesson. And for you to be six years into it and it's, Still not, it got you to where you wanted to be, but that's a lot of learning that you did. That's six years of school, basically, to say, I can take that next step. Well, and that was a thing. You know, you, you just kind of kind of hit it on the head there. Um, you know, when, like I said, when we launched this thing, and when we launched the digital magazine back in 2006, neither one of us had a clue about publishing. And literally over that succeeding six and a half years that I was involved in that project, 
everything that I learned, I learned just through my own initiative. And it was a lot of hard work. I mean, my wife can even attest um, to you when, when we wound up meeting in 2007 and we wound up getting married in 2008, there were a number of times when we were publishing an issue of that magazine and I'd be up to like two in the morning working on it. Um, but it was out of passion and for love for what we were doing. And uh, I learned so much from just immersing myself in how to, to do publishing and how to, to do the different things that we were doing at the time that I took those experiences and those lessons and, uh, and a lot of the, 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 the networking that I also managed to, to facilitate during the six and a half years that I did that and eventually create um, Outdoor by Four. But it was, yeah, it was undoubtedly, it was, there was a lot that went into all that. Um, and that being said, I, I wouldn't have changed it for anything. Right. Uh, it was, it was an experience that led me to, to recognizing that um, there was an opportunity with the, the idea of Outdoor by Four to create a publication that I felt could be unique to the market and, would allow for me to really follow a passion that I had developed over the previous six and a half years. And, um, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> so how would you describe, so that's outdoor by four is one of two magazines that you're now running mm -hmm. cheapers international being the other one. We'll okay. get to that, but outdoor by four coming up on its fifth anniversary. Right yeah, on that. Yeah. So we actually, yeah, we celebrated our fifth anniversary in January. Right. Right? So we're now officially in year six and, and to kind of give you a little bit of an idea of what Outdoor by Four is, it even yeah, is. Yeah, like what is that? If somebody comes up to you and says, what is that? Yeah, so we hadn't even really talked about that. But so when when I conceptualized Outdoor by Four, um, the idea was that I felt like there was this this uh, divergence. Um, and that's still, that's still prevalent today, but not as much so as it was even at that time, five or six years ago where there were a vast number of people who enjoy outdoors recreation, whether it's hiking or mountain biking or paddling or anything outdoors. And the vast majority of those folks use some form of a vehicle to get to a trailhead or to get to some remote location to go and enjoy all these outdoor activities. However, there's always been this kind of friction between the, the vehicle recreationalists, those who enjoy off-roading and um, the vehicle being the, the, the primary focus of exploration, and the outdoor recreationalists who have always kind of seen the vehicle as being kind of a threat to the resources that they enjoy getting out and seeing. And, and I felt like there are so many more things that bring us together as two different communities rather than separates us and keeps us apart. And so when the concept of Outdoor by Four came about, I really wanted to create something unique, uh, a magazine that in essence brought these two communities together in some capacity um, because I felt like by working together that the markets could really, really create something special. And when we released the first issue of Outdoor by Four, um, my idea was very much that. I wanted to bring the outdoors community with together with the vehicle community to create a magazine that highlighted and showcased both. And uh, the focus has always been on the vehicle being either the primary subject of getting out and exploring. And people nowadays like to refer to that as overlanding or vehicle-based adventure. And um, you, know, you can call it what you will, depending on what you're doing with the vehicle. But I wanted to not just focus on the vehicle, but also focus on the vehicle as a tool to get out and do all these other forms of outdoor recreation. Like the subjects that I just mentioned, you know, the mountain biking, hiking, uh, camping, paddling, all that stuff. And 
And that's where I felt like you, uh, Outdoor by Four could really provide a, a unique take on editorial that wasn't really prevalent at the time, really anywhere in publishing. You could go to, a, a, to any local newsstand back in 2013 and you could find magazines that were either focused specifically on the, the vehicle as the primary subject or magazines that were focused specifically on outdoors recreation as the primary subject. Every now and then with interdispersing just a little bit of one or the other. But there wasn't any magazine really on the market that really brought those things together. And um, I so can, that was, I'll, I'm sorry, I, I can just say as a reader, I've appreciated that because, yeah, I'll see a nice overland vehicle and maybe the cover of a, this month or that month's issue. But then I open it up and it's like five different stories to, covering five different areas. Um, I like mountain biking. A couple of issues back, there's a really good story about mountain biking in there. And so I appreciate like, okay, I'm not just going to read about Jeeps or Land Rovers. I'm going to read about all kinds of advice, adventure, or trips that might just be hiking and really take kind of a gem out of each issue. I've appreciated that. Yeah. And, and you know, another really, really important thing with Outdoor by Four has always been um, bringing a market, a, a magazine that has content that's relatable. Um, I want anybody who reads Outdoor by Four magazine to, to read an article and be able to identify with it in some capacity, uh, whether you're at the very top end of the economic spectrum or you're down low. Um, I've always wanted the 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 idea to be that when you read a story in Outdoor by Four, whether it's a vehicle-based trip or an outdoors trip, that you know, a person can think to themselves, oh, I can go and do this. I don't have to have you know, a, a $200,000 vehicle or $1,000 knife or whatever, you know, in order to get out and explore. And that's really the whole premise of Outdoor by Four is the idea of just getting out and seeing the world around you. And uh, I think that's what really makes that magazine uh, so unique and special. Um, and, you know, the, we just started our sixth year, so it, the magazine's by no means perfect. You know, we're always constantly evolving uh, trying to, to, to constantly evolve the approach to the editorial and the subjects that we feature and, and expanding on the, the magazine as a, as a print platform for sharing these unique stories that our vast contributor network shares with our readers. Um, but also maintaining uh, an, an essence that's you know, true to itself, that still sticks to the original premise of uh, trying to, you know, to create more solidarity, really with outdoor enthusiasts and vehicle-based enthusiasts and coming together and, and recognizing that there's value that each of these communities brings to, um, to, an entire, to the entire social fabric, really. And we're starting to finally see, for me as a publisher, I'm finally starting to see a little bit more of cooperation between these, these two market segments. Um, there's an event that I attend each year uh, that moved to Colorado last year called Outdoor Retailer. And it's, it's a it's the biggest event of the year for outdoors companies um, like sleeping bag companies, tent companies, hiking boot companies, knives, all that stuff, to come together and showcase the products that they're going to be releasing in the following season. And this past year was the first year that I went to that event where I finally started to see a vehicle component to how they were presenting their products, um, where they'd have like a, a nicely built uh, vehicle with a rooftop tent and a nice and fully encompassed camp kitchen integrated into the vehicle. Um, things that we've featured in Outdoor by Four for years that are finally starting to get some notice within the outdoors market. So I certainly can't take credit for any of that. But I'd like to think that maybe in some small way, Outdoor by Four has helped act as a catalyst to help kind of bring these two markets together and um, 
in the end, that's what I think has made Outdoor by Four such a fun project and one I'm excited and really proud of. It's definitely a great magazine. I'm curious too, um, in the digital age, your feelings on print media and you know, where obviously your future is print media. You've got two magazines going. And like I said earlier, I appreciate, um, I subscribe to, you know, probably four or five magazines right mm-hmm. now. And I've always had some subscription to some magazine and enjoy the physical touch of just holding that magazine and reading <laughs> sure. it and taking it with me. But what's your kind of feeling on the future of print media? Well, versus- you know, it, 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 this is, it's a, it's a really funny question for me because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I actually started this whole this whole transition into my publishing career 13 years ago in a digital platform, in a digital uh, uh, medium where at that time digital was, I mean, it was a very, very tough sell for years that I was doing the digital magazine to get companies engaged and interested in that product. At that time, there were very, very few people out there who really recognized digital as being an opportunity to reach a broader market. And it was a tough sell. Um, And it's been really interesting for me as a publisher to see how that transition has completely flipped 180 degrees. Now it's all about instant gratification through social media platforms and reaching these broad audiences of people through a digital medium. And print has undoubtedly over the last five or six years taken a hit because of that. And my feeling has been, you know, our, our readership is really, it, it's a, it, we have a very unique readership. And I think this can really be said about niche publications in general. Um, I believe that there's always going to be a need in some capacity for something tangible like a print magazine or a book, a hard, a hard paper book versus, you know, an ebook or an e-magazine. Because at the end of the day, you know, the vast majority of people who read Outdoor by Four are people who are still working. You know, they may have a day job doing whatever. A lot of folks are sitting in front of a computer all day doing what I did, you know, in the corporate world for years, where they're looking at, you know, things on a computer screen all day. And when, when they get home, you know, they want a break from, from that medium. Uh, and they want something tangible that they can kind of just escape into. And I've found that with our readership, uh, having something tangible that they can turn the pages and see and get immersed in, um, whether they actually have the time because of all the other life responsibilities that people have True. to get out and do the things that we write about, at least they can kind of live vicariously for 30 or 40 minutes when they're reading a copy of Outdoor by Four through the editorial and the images that we feature in the magazine. And there's a lot of value in that. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, I, I really believe that both digital and print provide a lot of service for us as a society. Um, and, you know, undoubtedly, an older demographic is going to prefer print because that's what, that's what they grew up with. Yeah. A younger demographic is, you know, more immersed in digital because that's what they've grown up with. And for us as a publishing company, it's a really interesting dichotomy to kind of be in because our focus is a flagship title that is distributed in a print format. And I'm always constantly kind of looking and evaluating how we can share the types of features and photography and all the wonderful things that our contributors create in the print magazine with a younger demographic through digital plant channels. And so part of our you know business model as a magazine is continually evolving to meet the needs of the demographic of people who want something tangible and meeting the needs of those who are always looking at something in a digital platform, providing them 
essentially uh, an opportunity to, to escape through the content that we feature in a digital platform and then maybe kind of slowly transition and rec- get them to recognize, hey, there's still value in having something that you know I can touch and hold, even as a young person. That doesn't necessarily involve me having to hold my device. Um, so I believe there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of benefit that digital can provide. But I also believe that from a print perspective, um, people are looking for an escape. And when you're on a device, you know, eight, ten hours a day, you need an escape from that. I, if anything, for, for some sure. just mental clarity. And, yeah. and, and um, you know, the print magazine or, or a print book offers that. Um, and because of that, I think, uh, I think there will always be, I'd like to, I'd like to believe that there will always be a need and a value in having that medium as a channel for people to to enjoy. Well, and I see your magazine too, because, um, I personally think it's very good quality and it's that quality of magazine that I stack up and save. It's not the quality that I read that month and goes in a recycle bin. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) And, and there, and there's, that's, I don't, maybe they've always had magazines of that quality, but. If I go and look into Barnes & Noble, you'll start to see some of these really what I consider high quality just from the feel, the look, the touch of the magazine. And then you're like, that's you're buying a little bit more than just something that's disposable. It's like, oh, I can read it and there's something in there I want to keep. Um, and the relatable part, I, I like that feel of y'all's where you write some relatable stories. Living in Texas, you can when you live around Houston, you could think, man, there's not a lot of outdoor activity out here. But you realize it. yeah, it's a long drive, but Big Bend, y'all have done a story on Big Bend before and there's just... That's unlimited opportunities of outdoor out there and what you can do. And there's so Absolutely. many things. And so when you can write an article like that, that's relatable and somebody's like, oh, wow, you can do, th- you can do this. And in fact, some friends of mine, uh, my business partner and sign out and two other guys, we decided like we could just go to Guadalupe Peak, which is the tallest peak in Texas and did a podcast about it because it was so easy. Not the hike. The hike was not easy, but the amount of resources it took to drive, spend the night at a Motel 6 very affordable, get on the trailhead, get up, mm-hmm. get down and get back to Houston right. was a very affordable trip for, sure. for a lot of people. And so I, I think those type stories are, it's, that might motivate somebody to be like, Oh, I can do that. Well, and that, yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, the, the relatability of the content is, is really, a, for me, that's been a huge right. important part of what we do as a magazine. And, and, uh, you know, again, like I'd like for you know anybody who picks up a copy of Outdoor by Four, let's say they see it at Barnes and Noble or Books a Million or another book retailer, you know, somewhere in the U.S. or Canada. Um, you know, my goal is that if you can reach one person with a, a beautiful image or a, a story of a place to go to that doesn't require a whole lot of effort or a whole lot of money in order to get out and do, that'll kind of give them that nudge to just maybe consider doing something that maybe they hadn't considered before. Um, I mean, for a lot of folks, you know, it's, it's kind of the, 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 the scary part of the unknown and not, you know, not quite sure or confident in trying something new and going out and doing something that maybe they hadn't considered before. And my hope is without Door by Four that, you know, anybody can pick up the magazine. They'll see something that, that, that looks interesting that they hadn't considered or, um, a place that looks beautiful that they didn't even know about and think to themselves, Hey, you know. I should just step out my front door and go check this out. Right. Um, and, and, and feel confident that they can do so without, you know, having to spend a lot or, um, or, or going out and doing something, you know, based with, on their, within their own constraints and not feel like they just, they can't do it at all. Yeah. So the other day, this is kind of an example of that. 
my daughter and I um, were wanting to do some backpacking and we've not done backpack camping. I remember you telling me about this. But we've gotten some gear and I'm like, we haven't even walked around with this gear. Sure. So we loaded up the packs in the neighborhood and did a four mile walk around the neighborhood with our packs on. And perfect. <laughs> and it was, and we actually went to a new sidewalk they had built and kind of went to a new area that we hadn't walked through before. And that it was a, it was an adventure that day. Sure. She loved it. It was a conversation for, you know, however long it took us to do that. And that that's as much as just getting out, just going and trying something. And that's, and that small step will lead to, well, the next time we'll spend the night in the woods somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, doing it incrementally to, to, right. to establish that confidence and that comfort level. Right. And then you get out and you go do, you know, whatever or wherever you want, it is that you want to go. Exactly. Uh, and then, it, yeah, that's, that's in, in my mind, you know, just stepping out the front door is, is the first step and, and the willingness to get out and, and consider doing something that you hadn't considered before I right. think is, is, can be a big achievement for an individual. Thanks. And again, you know, if outdoor by four can act as a catalyst in that, man, that's, I feel like I've, I've, Mission accomplished, you know. <laughs> so I've been following you all like social media for probably a year now. Okay. Um, thinking, I don't know exactly when I bought that magazine after that trip, but I know I've been following you on social media for about a year. And then all of a sudden, this other title starts creeping into social media for Jeepers International. Yeah. And I'm like, what's going on? I was like, what is that? I mean, what's going on with that? And so um, I think that's another just interesting story for you to say, okay, well, I'm watching something new and this is what it is. Um, for those, there's a lot of Jeep folks out there yeah. that are really true to that brand. And I know you have a story behind that because that's, it's sitting in the garage as well, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll have to go show that to you when we get, when we yeah. get done with the interview. Yeah. You so. know, it, yeah, it's, it's funny with Jeepers International, that, that title, that's something that has been on my mind for quite a long time, actually. Um, and it's, oh gosh, I mean, the, 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 the process that has led to us eventually launching Jeepers International has been a really interesting one in its own right. Now I mentioned when, when I started getting into digital publishing in 2006, um, the magazine that we were doing at the time was focused on Jeeps. It was Jeep centric and it was the utility of these Jeep vehicles, whatever they were to get out and explore. And a lot of the content that was related to that magazine and that effort eventually kind of matriculated and formed into what my idea was with Outdoor by 4, but with Outdoor by 4 being more vehicle agnostic and really focusing on just any vehicle, whether it's four-wheeled or two-wheeled. Well, with Jeepers International, it, it's <laughs> it's funny. Um, I had been doing the digital magazine for about a year, maybe a little over a year. So let's say maybe in early to mid-2007. Um I had gotten acquainted with a gentleman named Ron Flint. Ron, as it turns out, had, uh, back in 1999, he and a small group of partners uh, had worked to create what was called Jeepers International Adventure Journal. I had never heard of it. I didn't know anything about it. I uh, kind of came across it on a whim um, from a colleague who had shared the magazine with me after I had been doing the digital magazine for about a year, year and a half. And, um, I was blown away when I saw this magazine. Um, the magazine Jeepers International Adventure Journal released one issue and it folded. And that one issue came out in the spring of 2000 and its focus was very much, I mean, in many respects, very, very similar to the digital magazine that my friend and I had launched in 2006. I mean, it was almost conceptually the same. And I had never heard of it. So I was complete, I was totally intrigued and immersed by this magazine, thinking to myself, I can't believe that somebody else had this exact same idea and they actually created it 
eight years before. And it only lasted one issue, but it was really at that time, it was very much ahead of the curve. It had a, it had a dynamic to it that really captured what the, the Jeep lifestyle was all about, where it wasn't just about the vehicle, the vehicle being a subject, but the vehicle is this tool to get out and just do all these, you know, all these things um, that Jeep, Jeeper, Jeep, Jeep enthusiasts enjoy doing. And so when I, when I found the magazine and I went through, I was like, oh, I got I to gotta reach out to the original publisher of this and see if I can't locate him somehow and talk to him. So I, I somehow found Ron Flint, who was the original uh, editor of, uh, I believe the editor, either the editor or the publisher of Jeepers International Adventure Journal. And at the time, he was working for a company named Hearst, which if anybody in the automotive realm um, uh, out there is listening, you'll know that the, the brand Hearst because they're, they're very, very well known um, for vehicles. You know, they... they they uh, they offer uh, shift knobs and shift products um, and a variety of other products for the automotive market. Well, Ron at the time was was at a high level at Hearst, and I was going to be attending the annual SEMA event in Las Vegas, which is a Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association event that's hosted each uh, each year in late in the late part of the year. It's um, a huge event. It's a huge event, and for anybody who is a car enthusiast, which yeah. As I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, yeah. I always loved cars ever since I was a kid. It is the event to go You'll to. You'll see everything you can imagine. Oh, there. it's incredible. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible place. Well, so in the late fall of 2007, I had tracked down Mr. Flint, and I found that he was working for Hearst. And I was planning on being at SEMA that fall. I knew Hearst would be at SEMA that fall. So I reached out to him. I was like, hey, you know, is there any chance that we could maybe meet in person and talk a little bit about this Jeepers International Adventure Journal that you had done one issue of eight years before? And so we met. We met for the first time in person at, uh, at SEMA in 2007. And we developed a friendship from that point forward that I still carry today. As a matter of fact, I just had a phone call two days ago with Ron. Uh, we talked to each other probably three times a week. Um, so we've developed not just a, a, a business-type relationship, but over the years, that turned and transitioned into a friendship. And long story short, fast forward from 2007 to 2000, maybe 15, I get a phone call from Ron. He likes what we're doing with Outdoor by 4 Magazine. And he's got several things that he's been, he'd been working on over the years that were kind of more targeted to the off-road market particular Jeep vehicles. And at the time he had transitioned from Hearst into going off and doing his own thing. And so we started talking about ways that we could collaborate. And the idea of resurrecting Jeepers International came up. So we put a lot of time and effort and phone calls for about a six month period thinking about ways that we could maybe resurrect that brand. And in January of, oh gosh, 17, I think, we came, I mean, super, super close to deciding to collaborate together to relaunch that brand. And then we decided, because of all the things I had going on with Outdoor by Four, you know, Outdoor by Four at that time was still relatively new. It was beginning its third year, but still, still in many respects in its infancy. And with Ron being so busy with all the things that he was doing, time-wise, it just, it just didn't make sense. It, we just couldn't make it work because of the time commitment. So we set it aside. Well... January of last year, so January of 18, so about a year after he and I came super close to re resurrecting that brand, 
I call Ron up. I'm like, hey, Ron, Outdoor by Four is beginning its fifth year. Um, the magazine is, is, is in a position now uh, with readership that I'd like to consider maybe bringing back the Jeepers International brand. Well, we decided that um, I could have his blessing to do with Jeepers International what he had wanted to do, but me just do it myself. And so I started thinking really seriously about bringing back this Jeepers International because, for, well, for several reasons. I, I recognize, first of all, with Outdoor by Four, we had a big, a large number of people who read Outdoor by Four who have Jeeps. And there's, because of the uniqueness of Outdoor by Four's content and kind of bringing the world of outdoors and vehicle travel and whatnot together, um, the Jeepers International magazine just kind of made, for me, it was it was the idea of supplementing what we do with Outdoor by Four, but focusing specifically on Jeeps, knowing that a lot of people who read Outdoor by Four are already inherently interested in Jeep vehicles as a platform to get out and do all these things we were writing about. And so last year, around March or so, decided to go ahead and give it a run. And with Ron's blessing, we relaunched Jeepers International Magazine. Um which was, you know, like I said, originally had lasted one issue and came out in the spring of 2000, so 18 years earlier. Um, and so that brand was a, a major influence, and the original brand was a major influence in resurrecting the brand and kind of bringing it back into a, a more relevant basis, you know, as to where the market is now. And so we made the announcement to launch Jeepers International Magazine. And interestingly enough, about a month after making the announcement to launch Jeepers, um, I get um, uh, I'm, I'm working on Outdoor Before doing something with the magazine, and my wife come walks into my office and she says, um, "Frank, your your cousin in Mexico, he has a Jeep that you had always told me about over the years that you really enjoyed um, that you remember seeing when you were a kid, and we had seen it a couple of years previously when we went to go to Mexico to visit some family there." He's selling the Jeep, and my wife, she knew the background history of this Jeep, and I'll tell a little bit more about that. Um, she, she said, your cousin is selling this Jeep, and we need to keep it in the family. So I immediately get on the phone. I call my cousin. I'm talking to him in choppy Spanish. My Spanish isn't very good. Um, I understand it well, but I don't speak it very well. And I'm telling him, you know, we can't sell this Jeep vehicle. It's been in our family for you know, almost 40 years. I just announced that I'm getting ready to launch a, a Jeep vehicle-related magazine. I was like, this would be a perfect fit for what we're doing with this new title. What do we? What, what can I do to, to ensure that we keep this in the family? So long story short, I agreed to acquire the vehicle from my cousin. And that process, and then eventually getting the vehicle from Mexico City here to Spring, Texas, just north of Houston, was a complete adventure in itself. And I actually wrote about it in the first issue of Jeepers International. But... That vehicle, in, in essence, really kind of thinking back on how all of this stuff came together, I think really probably did play a huge role in my transition from the corporate world to launching Outdoor by Four and then eventually launching Jeepers International. And its story is really one that's pretty special. Um, this was a 1978 Jeep CJ5 that I had a great uncle. So it was my mother's uncle in Mexico City. He bought this vehicle new in 1979. And I remember when I was a kid uh, going with my family on uh, infrequent trips to go visit family in Mexico City, I remember seeing the Jeep. Uh, and I always thought as a little kid it was 
a really cool Jeep. But I never really thought a whole lot about it besides when we'd go down to Mexico and I'd see it. And I'd be like, oh, that's really, really cool. Well, I think subconsciously I must have remembered that Jeep because when we launched the digital magazine in 2006, um, I had just recently bought my my first Jeep. Um, but I'm fairly certain that subconsciously I must have remembered this old Jeep from when I was a little kid. And I just it just kind of stuck with me in some capacity. And so... Um, when we launched the, the, we decided to, to bring back the Jeepers International brand, and I um, had been presented with the opportunity to acquire this Jeep that I had remember seeing from a very small age on family trips to Mexico. It just made sense, um, so I did. I, I I made arrangements to get the the, the Jeep from Mexico City uh, into northern Mexico, and then drove it back from northern Mexico to um, as far as San Antonio, and uh, eventually I wound up having to, a whole long story of, of, of events that happened with the Jeep once we got to San Antonio, but eventually I did get the Jeep here to spring. It is 40 years old. So. It is 40 years old, <laughs> and the, the funny thing about that Jeep, my, my uncle, um, who had bought it originally, he had it for 30 years, and he drove it very infrequently during that 30-year period. Most of the time, it spent its, it spent its life in his warehouse. He used a, he had a, um, I think it was a a bed or a mattress manufacturing company there in Mexico City. And so he had this warehouse where he would, on one side was his business, and the other side he just collected stuff. And the Jeep was one of the things that he collected. He was also a huge Harley Davidson enthusiast. And one of the things I remember as a kid, he would fly to Houston and he would buy a Harley Davidson motorcycle and he'd ride it all the way back to Mexico City. Wow. He did this for years. And uh, when he passed away in 2007, I believe, um, he had acquired a large, vast, extensive collection of Harley-Davidson motorcycles in his warehouse. He also had this Jeep CJ5. And his oldest son, uh, my cousin uh, named Miguel, took ownership of this Jeep. And he had it for the following 10 years until he made the decision to sell it. And so the Jeep has been in our family for literally since its inception, uh, for 40 years. And it was hardly ever driven. Um, when I took ownership of it, it had you know, everything on that Jeep was, because it's in Mexico, is in metric. So it's all in kilometers. Um, it had a, a original twenty about twenty two thousand original kilometers, which, which if you do the conversion um, to the U.S., it's basically about fourteen thousand, maybe fourteen thousand five hundred miles. On That's it. amazing. So uh, you know, uh, almost all original. He did repaint the Jeep um, at some point in the last ten years to the original color that it was, which is this really really pretty, like cafe brown. I'll show it to you when we get done with the interview, but. Um, Anyway, aside from those details, um, I had I had remembered this Jeep from being a kid. Um, it it eventually worked its way to me after I had already started an outdoor by four and had had announced the launch of Jeepers International. So it kind of came full circle for me. So it's really really special to have that Jeep. And I wrote about it in the first issue of Jeepers International, and, and that the story that I featured in Jeepers International about this Jeep and how it's been in the family for forty years and how it played a role even subconsciously in how I've just transitioned my career and has brought it full circle. I mean, it's, you know, really just kind of thinking about it and talking about it out loud during this interview. It's, um, it's almost surreal. Um, you couldn't get a better first edition story, first story <laughs> for your, the launch of your magazine than that. You, you couldn't find a better story. And it all and happened by chance. And I, you couldn't six years ago, five years ago, 
three years ago, you probably couldn't have dreamt that story up that that's how that was going to roll together. I would have never guessed. And it's funny. My wife and my my youngest daughter and I, we flew to Mexico City back in the summer of 2015. My wife and my youngest daughter had never been to Mexico. I hadn't been back to Mexico City since I was 16. So it had been like almost 20 years since I had been to Mexico, to Mexico, to the interior of Mexico City. Well, when we went there to go visit my family, um, I was reacquainted with this Jeep. So I hadn't seen the Jeep since I was about probably four or five years old. Um, I get reacquainted with it back in the summer of 2015. And I remember making the comment to my cousin who had ownership of it at the time. I said, cousin, if you ever decide to sell this Jeep, I would love to have it because it's it's been in the family the whole time that 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 it's that the Jeep has been alive. And um, I've had this affinity for Jeep vehicles for years. I'd love to own this Jeep at some point. Well, his response was, no, I'll never sell the Jeep. There was a sentimental attachment to it, which I had totally understood. It belonged to his father, and his father had passed away. And, and this was a special memento of, of his you know, relationship with his father. So I never really expected to ever own the Jeep. And for me to wind up actually taking ownership of it three years later, at the same time that I was announcing that I was launching, relaunching the Jeepers International brand, and uh, the timing couldn't have been more impeccable. Um, and it's definitely, it's definitely one that, uh, you know, just thinking about kind of puts a smile on my face. And puts a smile on my face. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't even own a Jeep at this point, but I, I, sh- I want one more now than I did yesterday. Well, I, th- this has been a really good conversation to see. Um, for me, I like hearing these stories where somebody had a career path, led them one way through a lot of experiences, part of it, pursuing your passion on the side ends up becoming what you're doing, your, what, what your, your passion is for your, for your day job as well, better, lack of a better way to put it. And I just think those stories are so cool about how you, you, didn't, you didn't give up on what you enjoyed. And by that constant pursuit, next thing you know, you're one magazine in, you're two magazine in. I'm sure you're thinking about more in the future <laughs> as now a publisher with, with you know, two different magazines going out there. But this has just been a really good story. I really appreciate you just like taking the time and going through it. And we had even talked before. Mm-hmm. We met a few weeks ago at an event and got a little bit. But, man, this is even a lot deeper and a lot better to hear it. Well, I, I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I'm like you said, I'm, I am always thinking about other things that we can do. And that's always going to be on the table. Right. Um, you know, for me, the goal of, of Outdoor by Four is to be a catalyst, not just for the not just for the consumer, but you know, for me as a, as a, as a company, I'm always looking at things that we can do to continue to evolve and expand on what we're doing. And so, yeah, down the road, you know, there'll probably be another magazine at some point, you know, I'd love to have a a full publishing house with a suite of different magazines that cater to various market segments. But I'll say this, um, and I, and I hadn't mentioned it at all during this interview, but none of this real, literally like none of this would have even been possible without the support of my wife, because I can tell you um, the amount of time and money and effort that has gone into being able to fulfill this passion and this dream that I've had without her support and love and patience along the way with me, it just wouldn't have happened. Um, I'm, I mean, honestly, like every day I think to myself, man, I am so blessed to not only be doing something that I'm really passionate about, but to have my wife who has been there every step of the way and has supported this effort in a way that without her support, there's just no way this would have happened. I mean, it could very easily be that without her encouragement and, and, uh, and being as, as, uh, as understanding of what 
my passion is um, that, I, you know, I could very well right now, instead of sitting in this interview, I could probably be sitting in an office somewhere crunching numbers and doing what I was doing before Outdoor by Four ever became a reality. So um, I guess the, 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 the grandest thing of all of this has been that I have recognized that it's been a blessing to be able to transition into something I'm passionate about and being able to share it with my wife and my family who have not only been supportive, but are also passionate about it themselves. Um, That's awesome. I couldn't be more lucky. That's awesome. <laughs> so how, if somebody wants to find your magazine, where do they find them? Well, so for Outdoor by Four, we publish six times per year, primarily print with a digital edition of the magazine. Um, you can find the magazine in print at most book retailers throughout the U.S. and Canada. Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, um, select grocery stores carry the magazine. Um, other kind of niche retailers offer the magazine. Uh, there's Fry's Electronics, which we have here in Houston, which I was shocked to find Outdoor by Four at a couple months ago. So apparently you can find it at certain electronic stores where they sell magazines. Um, you can also subscribe to the magazine. Um, you can just visit our website, outdoorby4.com, outdoorx4.com is how you spell it. Um, and the magazine is is also offered in a digital format. So, you know, for those of you guys and gals who like reading stuff on your device, whether it's a phone or a tablet or a desktop or whatever, you can get Outdoor by 4 on your device and it reads just like it does in print, except instead of turning the pages by hand, you're just swiping across your screen. You can get that through outdoorx4.com as well. Um, Jeepers International, a little bit different. Um, my focus and my and my goal with Jeepers International was I did I never wanted it to detract from what we're doing with Outdoor by Four, but rather supplement what we're doing with Outdoor by Four. So Jeepers International is a little bit more unique. You can't buy it at, at a bookstore anywhere. It's by subscription only. Um, it's also released quarterly. Uh, we released the first issue back in October last year. Um, the second issue actually should have gone out about three or four weeks ago, but we've got such really cool and engaging stuff planned for issue two that I really wanted to give the layout process and everything related to that more time to really capture the essence of the of the really fun stories that we've got planned for issue two. So issue two is in the works now. Probably have it wrapped up within the next couple of weeks and then we'll get it out. It'll be every three months after that. Um, you can subscribe to Jeepers International by visiting the website. It's www.jeepersinternational.com, all one word. Um, the magazine's also offered in a digital edition as well. So for those of you guys and gals who like, you know, your digital, um, you can read the magazine by swiping across each page on your device. Um, and then, uh, you can follow our social media channels. Um, it's for magazine outdoor by four. It's just at outdoor X four, uh, for Jeepers International. It's at Jeepers International on Facebook and Instagram. Well, I appreciate your time today. Um, this has been a really good conversation. And for those, you know, that listen to this, I think it's just a great story to follow somebody through their career and, you know, pursuing that passion, which is one thing that we really um, believe about here at Sign Out as well. So thanks a lot for your time today. Oh, you bet, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Sign Out podcast. Big thanks to Frank for dropping by and talking with us make sure you check out all those links that frank mentioned they're doing some pretty cool stuff over there at outdoor by four uh, make sure you check out our website signoutco.com that's where you can sign up for our email newsletter um, you can check out our other podcast episodes and most importantly check out the merch that we have we have some pretty awesome t-shirts and stickers and things like that the music in today's episode 
was done by me, Caleb J. Murphy. If you want to hear more of that kind of music, check out calebjmurphy.com. And again, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next episode.